Kia ora and welcome. I'm Boris Lamont and this is the New Zealand Wine Podcast. Thanks for joining us in this episode where we speak with Phil Hanford from the Grasshopper Rock Winery in central Otago, New Zealand. One of the southernmost wineries in New Zealand and renowned for its production of Pinot Noir. So right now, let's go have a chat with Phil. So uh, welcome Phil, thanks for coming along today. It's great to be here. Yeah, good to, good to have you with us. And so, uh, what started you off on your journey into into wine? Because it wasn't um, what you're originally into, was it? No, not at all. In fact, um, yeah, never <laughs> wasn't really into wine until after we planted, started playing the vineyard or started doing that, uh, thinking about what we were going to do with the with the, with the uh, vineyard. But it probably goes back to um, yeah, my interest in agriculture really, mm-hmm. and I studied uh, Massey at, at uh, studied agriculture at Massey University. And always had worked on farms and I was always interested in the sort of soils and agronomy and growing things. And that's probably, um, you know, the, I guess the root of what I, um, what got us into the industry was that um, idea of growing things and doing well. And having, when I left, when I left Massey, I worked for the uh, Rural Bank for quite a few years. And a lot of that was, um, you know, working with farmers and I guess you came to see over time that some farms particularly performed better than other farms, and that was that whole interest in that connection between the land and what what tended to consistently produce uh, better products and tends to be the you know most profitable. And those sites always seem to all those you know farms always seem to be the most successful. Um, yeah, and so then when I got into banking and and worked in the area of uh, joint ventures and equity partnerships for a while, uh, the whole possibility of doing a joint venture in the viticultural sector and being able to establish a, a really good vineyard on a on an ideal site became of, of great interest to us really. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And 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 so what why why a vineyard? What was it about sort of um you know your involvement in agriculture but what sparked yeah. in particularly getting into wine yeah. making? Well, I think I'd been in the in the work I've been doing in the bank and with equity partnerships and I was also involved in the dairy a dairy venture, a dairy farming venture myself and it was very much about um, producing as much milk as you could as efficiently and as cheaply as possible um, so that and, and at the end of the day the, the milk um, you produced, you know, you got paid for protein and fat and and basically your milk went off in the tanker and it was mixed up with everybody else's milk and essentially sold as a commodity and yeah. for us the exciting thing was to actually take a product I guess from paddock to plate really so we could find the piece of land that we thought would produce excellent wine and then um, grow the grapes, produce the wine and brand it under our label and build um, you know, a reputation around a particular site and label which, right. which took us away from say being a commodity but to being something that was special and connected to that site. Yeah, yeah, well that, that's interesting because uh, that's e- echoing very much um, the sentiments of Jim Vilitich from Providence about being able to see it right from working in uh, with the vines themselves and to the finished product, you know, rather than it just yeah. disappearing and, it, and as you say, becoming becoming a commodity. Actually, you're involved in the whole process and you see the final outcome and result right to the consumer, uh, That's you right. know, enjoying it. Yeah, mm. yeah. I think the exciting thing about that is, yeah, you get you get the feedback from the people actually consuming the product, mm. which you, which you don't say in the dairy industry. Um, and also potentially if you do it really well, yeah, you've got some real upside in terms of the uh, returns you can make, you know, back to us mm. Um, mm. because everything we do 
you know, day to day is aimed at trying to build the value of, of essentially, I guess, of the brand and of the name yeah. from that vineyard, which, you know, you can't capture that if you're just producing a commodity. Yeah. So that's, yeah, the exciting stuff for us is, yeah, building something special. Yeah, sure. And and what then drew you down to Central Otago and, and then what why that particular part of, 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 of Central Otago where you've ended up? Yeah, well, I think when I... When I was working in the bank and doing and doing, working for the equity partnership side of things, I did. I, it was a national position. I used to travel around a lot, and I guess I looked at um, the, the viticultural sector in uh, Hawke's Bay and Marlborough and Central Otago, and and I suppose you know Hawke's Bay uh, was when I first sort of realised how much uh, how many vines were going into the ground really, and and uh, this was in the um, early two thousands, right? Okay, and really made me think. You know, with that amount of uh, volume coming, starting to come through, that you really had to produce. If you got in New Zealand, if you're going to do this well, you really have to produce wine, sort of right at the top of the pyramid in terms of the quality side of it. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to sell the product, because there was inevitably always a lot of competition at the, um, you know, at the sort of the bulk end of the market, and a bit harder to differentiate your product if you're just going to produce the volume. So, um, so that was what tracked my interest in the industry. But when I um, then I went to Marlborough and looked at there and it was at that stage again, say early two thousands, um, when there was basically a shortage of a shortage of uh, um, you know grapes really to meet the demand, and it was very easy to do a budget and say, well, we can plant X hectares and these are the costs and this is what we're going to get for our grapes and we can sell them to um, one of the wine companies, and it was very profitable, and essentially that's what's happened. Everyone planting grapes on the mm. back of that. Mm. But I guess looked at and said, well, Sauvignon Blanc is, um, you know, it's a great cash flow model at that stage. And, but really there's only, the price points of Sauvignon Blanc, there's only so much you can, someone's going to pay for Sauvignon Blanc in general. Um, whereas when we started to look at Centro Targo and Centro Targo Pinot Noir and the reputation that Centro Targo was establishing, you know, for world-class Pinot and I guess knowing um, where, how special that grape is and how difficult it is to grow. And if you can find a place that grows it really well, then there's a lot more upside in terms of us establishing something really special because Pinot is so good at connecting sort of the, making a distinctive wine from a specific site. Um, and, you, and we sort of think about, the, you know, the possibilities with what, what Burgundy does and, and how that connection to the land, which is what excited us about Centro Targa. I guess growing Pinot on the edge where we do, you can get that real distinct connection for the site so right so that um, that, that ability to, to to taste the wine and go okay i think this is where it's from i can taste the terrar yeah. and the and yeah. the climate totally and, and you know on our scale so like say well we could do you know you can grow grapes and they'd probably get blended in um get well paid but we wanted to be and we couldn't afford to obviously big big scale we were sort of a smaller boutique winery operation in the day um, and that's where the appeal was with Centro Targa to do something small, but to do it really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. And and so you started looking around, or how how did that come about? To you know, was it a long process to yeah. find the to find the? Yeah, it was a long process. Um, probably what happened was uh, we, I had a general interest in the viticultural sector and thought it'd be good to do something in that area, and had looked at a couple of things um, which didn't excite me, and then the opportunity came up in this particular piece of land um, and I guess immediately I realised that this is probably a pretty good piece of land um, and so 
we then did a lot of homework um, talking to local uh, people in terms of um, you know the history of the site, uh, the you know temperatures and the experiences of older orchardists in the area. Um, you know, sort of at that stage, at that early stage, I guess it ticked all the boxes because you know it had a nice um, north-facing slope. It was uh, had enough heat on this particular little hill to, to um, ripen fruit, and there was a couple of examples of smaller vineyards successfully ripening Pinot Noir nearby. Mm-hmm. Um, had good irrigation water for us and um, well located on the on a sort of wine trail. So we did a lot of work, but particularly about the climatic data and the soil soil profile, which I mean I guess that was a given because you just once that's right then you start looking a bit deeper. Um, but the whole process. So when we found this bit of land, we started to look at it and did a lot of homework and looked at other properties and compared them. And I guess nothing really stacked up for us to be something special with a bit of character and all that. Sort of ticking all the boxes, so when we, um, so we then uh, yeah, negotiated buying the property, um, and that whole process because there was a number of changes and we had to find partners because there's five families in this, so no one of us could afford to do it on our own and, and didn't want to do it on our own because we wanted to make it a bit more, I guess, a bit more fun and a bit more um, you know feasible. Um, but that whole process of of um, pulling it all together took us a good twelve months, eighteen months. And that, um, in terms of the actual venture, that, that time span I think was really valuable and it always is I think with these sort of ventures because it, you almost need that long for people to sort of sort out where they really want to be involved with each other and involved with the project. Um, so yeah, it took us, you know, from started looking at this in 2001 and we didn't plant the grapes until 2003. So, you know, we had to obviously secure the get our group together and then um, make sure we had our, our vines ordered at that stage. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but even right until the last sort of uh, 12, six months, we had changes in some of the shareholdings. But we got, I guess, we got the right people we wanted on board, which was always the plan of the start, is yep. I think with these sort of joint ventures is to have the right people. And, yeah, so you get you a good, good spread across your team to take care of the different aspects that need taken care of. Yeah, well, 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 more so probably for us is having um, everybody there with a similar sort of uh, vision for what we were trying okay. to achieve. Yes. And, you know, there was, so we were, none of us were actually sort of hands-on at that stage. Mm. Um, okay. So we were going to bring in bring in the expertise in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Sort of, um, and we were more there in a sort of a, knowing what we want to achieve in a sort of a governance role, but making sure we got all the got the whole process yep. right and got the got the job done. So you ended up on a on a piece of land which is quite far south for um yeah. grape, grape growing in New Zealand. Yeah, we didn't sort of I just it didn't maybe occur to us how far <laughs> south it was at the time because we were looking at climate data really. Yeah. And but yeah those so there's yeah, these are the southern southernmost vineyards in New Zealand and, and certainly in terms of um you know, even within Centro Otago and it seems within the world in, in terms of the viable um, uh, wine growing. Yeah. But, yeah, so we're sort of sort of about 45.25 south, and there's about, I don't know, there's probably the, some smaller vineyards. We're, probably, we're the biggest one on this, little, on this little hill, but there's probably about sort of four or five labels as such mm-hmm. vineyards on this uh, very southerly ridge. But, mm-hmm. I mean, the good thing is we've, we're a long way south, but being on the bit of a north facing slope it's a bit more sheltered and a bit more sun and it just enough to, seems to be to make 
all the difference from being out on the flats. Yeah, yeah, very yeah. good, very good. And so, so you purchased the land in '03, was it? 2003? Yeah, so 2002 we ended up right. buying the land mm-hmm. and we prepared it and planted our vines and um, yeah, in uh, autumn, uh, yeah, autumn, autumn sort of winter of uh, 2003. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. okay. And then how long between that and the and the first vintage? Yeah, so we 2003 um, we planted. And then we had our first uh, actual harvest that we, we kept in 2006. Okay. So, yeah, it's essentially sort of three years. Yep. And, uh, you know, but we, I guess in establishing the vineyard, we sort of didn't want to leave uh, anything to, um, you know, we want to take all the, the risk out of it. So one of the things we did was we put in really good frost fighting right from the right from day one. Okay. And that really saved us in that first winter because it was actually, with the young vines, there was quite a few... Vineyards planted in Central Otago and quite a few vines lost of you know new plantings just with a heavy frost. Right. So luckily we could protect the So what, what was that specifically for you? That what what measures did you put in place? What specifically? Oh, so we've you... got um, we've got frost fighting in terms of uh, sprinklers. Okay. So yep. yeah, we used sprinklers across the whole vineyard, and that was a sort of a major factor in, in the site was that it had a really good source of water from mm. the old. Uh, Irrigation races from the old mining days. So ah, we've got okay. shares in one of the um, irrigation companies, um, which is sort of like a community community um, thing, oh, which all okay. far, or, all um, a number of I guess a number of yeah, a number of orchards and vineyards have uh, shareholdings in, which gives them an allocation of water. Hmm, okay. So yeah, we use water. So we've got, but well, we built a big dam, so we've got enough water to fight say frost for three days, and we put in double diesel engines just because. You know, we just didn't want the risk of uh, one diesel engine breaking right. down. So <laughs> at least if one breaks down, we can probably cover most of the vineyard yeah, still. trying so to fix just, the diesel it's engine. just taking all those risks out of it, given we're sort of smaller scale. Yeah, need to yeah, do it good. well every year. And has that worked well since, you know, the, the processes you've put in place? Yeah, yep. fingers crossed we um, we haven't had an issue with uh, frost fighting at all. So we've frost fighting's been fine. Probably our biggest challenge is um, you know, having really cold... Uh, wet weather at flowering okay sort of in that sort of mid-december period of mm. right on the we're right in the middle of flowering but mm. um but but you know one of the things is because of our side which has got different sort of contours and within the vineyards and different blocks and different we've got different clones and rootstocks so it's quite a mixture so we've never got um all our all our vines are never all flowering at exactly the same time right Right, so um, you know we've yeah, but it's uh, that flowering period is a difficult one, and and it is all Pinot Noir. Yeah, so when we we were originally the block was going to be a little bit bigger, uh, we were going to plant a little bit of Riesling, but no, in, in the end of the day, um, it's eight hectares and it's all all planted in in Pinot Noir, planted at the same time. So yeah, yeah. okay, and and so you've got um, where's where's your winemaker from? Is um, he been around there for with you yeah. for a little while now? Yeah, so what we what we did in two thousand in two thousand three when we planted, there wasn't actually winemaking facilities. Like we we didn't have a winemaking. Um, we haven't got a we haven't got a winemaker within our group, and we didn't have any. Uh, I guess um, ability to process the wine because. You know, back when we planted in two thousand three, there really wasn't the capacity within Central Target to um, process all the grapes that were going to be coming through. So, but fortunately for us, um, just at the time we were starting to look at maybe we could do a sort of a cooperative uh, wine processing operation ourselves, which is sort of fraught with difficulty. Fortunately, Vinpro 
opened a contract winemaking facility um, following on from their bottling business in uh, Cromwell. Mm. So we were one of the first to supply Vinpro, um, which is like a private company, uh, but they just do contract winemaking and and bottling and um, store a lot of wine, a lot of logistics work. So, uh, But they've been great to work with and very fortunate that their focus really initially was just purely on Pinot Noir. And so it's very well set up, well run. And uh, we've had uh, the winemaking team's obviously seen a few changes, but we initially had a winemaker, Carol Bunn, and then uh, from 2010 on, Pete Bartle has yes. been our sort of head winemaker, and he's still there. But mm-hmm. yeah, and they're very, you know, they've a consistent approach to how we how we um, make our wine, really, in terms right. of what we're looking for. Yeah. And so, what is that? How how would you describe your, the the, yeah. the the style of wine that you? So producing? what we because it is so far south this vineyard and it's very um i guess it's right on the on the um edge of uh grape growing it's very edgy mm. uh very cool nights so which me and it's and it's chill so i didn't get a lot of wind so it's got so sorry just on that what, yeah. how how cool does it get like what are we talking sort of you know you're getting into minuses some yeah so like it? i mean like this this may has been crazy so we i think the average temperature this month's been under five degrees right but <laughs> average but, but what will happen is yeah and in, in um in spring we'll get a number of frosts um, if we don't get any frosts, it would be unusual, but we could get frosts of minus two, minus three, mm-hmm. and certainly, so that's as in, say, maybe October, November. Mm-hmm. Um, we can get a frost any time, but, I mean, a frost is, you know, minus one, but we can get a frost any time of the year. And then coming into autumn, and so particularly April, our temperatures will be swinging from below five degrees to over 20 degrees. Right. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, so and, and we're bound to get, and more than likely to get a frost into April. So mm. we could get a minus two or three. Right. Quite a good variation then yeah, through the day. Yeah, and some yeah. big frosts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it does mean it produces a very, um, quite a, a complex and elegant sort of style of wine. So it's quite a, um, not such a big style, but more a, more a delicate, um, bit more savoury sort of a red fruit. But but also because it's a little bit more um, elegant and very perfumed. Um, we try and avoid doing too much work on it in the winery. So mm-hmm. we do we oak probably you know thirty percent of our under thirty percent of our barrels are new. So it all goes to French oak. So we don't go heavy on the oak side of it. And we don't um, you know a lot of people do a lot of whole bunch. We don't do whole bunch, and we don't do a lot of you know don't over extract. So it's just trying to show the pretty style that it is. Right. Yeah. Because okay. that's what the vineyard does well. So our view as well. That's what the vineyard does well. Let's not take anything away from that. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's a representation of, of what, what you're actually yeah. getting off the vine very each much. year. Yeah, very yep. much. And what's yep. you know what's been interesting, though, although we get a lot of vintage variation because we are sort of so far south, mm. um, there's a very distinct grasshopper rock character that comes through right, the wine nice. from year to year, even if there's quite a lot of variation sort of yeah. from year to year. Yeah. And so what is the um, soil type? What are, what are we talking down So here? it's very, um, without giving the proper name for it, but it's very stony, silty, a stony silty loam, okay, or silty stony loam, and it's mm-hmm. or sandy silty, sort of. But it's predominantly um, it's river river gravels or glacial outwash, mm-hmm. and then it's had sort of windblown loose, you know, deposited over it, and then on the hill there's a little bit. The foot of the hill it's a little bit heavier, just and out on towards the um, further out from the hill it's very stony and lighter, so got quite a lot of variation. But but it's all very free draining. Um, it's quite young soils, only about sort of ten thousand year old soils, um, but it sort of sits. 
um, between sort of little a little almost like a little basin that sits between um, two little rocky ridges or one hill and a rocky ridge and it's sort of over quite deep deep rock not enough to impede drainage but mm. but a very fine you know sort of sandy free draining soils mm. Mm. ideal for Ideal for Pinot, really. Yeah, right. Or right. Ideal for grapes. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. And so, you know, obviously unique in its own way, but not untypical of uh, the Central Otago. No, that's right. Not yeah, yeah. Fairly typical sort of soils. I mean, some soils are a bit older, or some have a bit more clay. But mm. I mean, I sort of feel that yeah, the big factor in our side is free draining soils, but it comes down more to the climate. Mm. So that's the, probably the key reason why I say our wine will be different from something from Cromwell, for example, is more climatic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So, yeah. And um, and so you know you can, you can obviously get the wine around New Zealand. I coincidentally saw it um, in a New Auckland restaurant. But you're also um, into Australia and and elsewhere. Yeah, so we produce um, about four thousand cases. That's twelve, you know, dozen uh, twelve bottle cases. Mm-hmm. And we would sell that approximately half in New Zealand and half export. Okay, and. Um, and obviously, you know, obviously Auckland's a big market in New Zealand, so Auckland's quite busy for us. We sell um, quite a bit uh, direct sales as well to private customers, and then outside of that, Australia is probably a, you know, our key our key market and our growing market, and that's you know where we want to um, want to, you know, that's really important for us, and it's a good it's a good market, and uh, you know the Pinot category continues to grow. And I think you know we're in good we're in good space over there, so mm. that's important. And then we sell a bit into the UK and a little bit into sort of Southeast Asia. Okay, yeah. And, and when you're travelling overseas, um, how do how do you find the recognition or awareness of Central Otago Pinot? Is is that there, or is it still an education process yeah. for you, or is it you know there in some places and not in others? Yeah, I I, I probably. Yeah, spend most of my sort of time in Australia in terms of the export markets, um, and I yeah so yeah the Central Otago Pinot Noir is a sort of a strong, strongly recognised brand in, in in Australia, so that's good. Um, but it's, it's I mean I always enjoy Australia because you 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 know meet a lot of people who are who see a lot of wines, international wines, yeah, and they're quite they're always very impressed with the Grass of Rock Pinot because it's. It's um a slight a different a slight different take on some of the other New Zealand Pinots mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's um you know a big benefit for us. But it's good to see the international perspective on it, which is sometimes in New Zealand is you know, people see a lot of New Zealand Pinots, but it's nice to talk to people who see a lot of Pinots from around the world. Yeah, yeah, for that's, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then I find say we were selling a bit in the US for a while, um and that was uh it was always interesting some of the feedback we get from the US because they were sort of you know, looking for bigger styles of Pinots and in general, and uh, you know, ours is, ours is at the other extreme. So we could get accused by the uninformed of a watery Pinot, which right? It's not at all, but <laughs> yeah. just a little bit more subtle. Yeah, that's right. That's the yeah. difference. Yeah, yeah, not not so obvious, but yeah. it's still there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, very good. So you think you'll stick to the Pinot? Looking to sort of do anything anything else on the horizon? Or you mentioned Riesling, but. Yeah. Um, Oh yeah, I don't think we'll do Riesling. I'm quite happy to buy other people Riesling rather than <laughs> grow it. Probably cheaper. Yeah, but I think sorry, just around there, is it is it pretty much predominantly Pinot on the other um, wineries? Yeah, certainly where we are, it's it's very much predominantly Pinot. Yeah, 
I mean, it does grow some really good coverts and some Riesling mm. and some Pinot Gris, but it's very much, a, especially in Alexandra, mm. very much mm. sort of a Pinot. And where we are on that hill there, yep. it's very much a sort of Pinot Noir-dominated yep. area. Um, but, yeah, I, in terms of us doing anything more, I think, uh, you know, we've been in the market probably not quite 10 years now, uh, so we're still sort of, you know, still getting ourselves established. Um yeah, maybe maybe us in fifty years we might have planted a bit more Pinot, but yeah, yeah, very much. At this stage, it's about we do four thousand cases. Let's do it really well, and let's focus on the markets that are most viable. Yeah. So if that means we move more into one market and pull back on another market, that's more the approach we'll take. Sure. Rather than you know, we don't want more money tied up in stocks and more money tied up in trying to establish vineyards, which will take us another. Another ten years yeah, to get on yeah, top of. Yeah, yeah, it's a long, it's yeah. a long term commitment, yeah. isn't it? And what about for you? Have you sort of come across anything recently in your sort of wine tasting? You know, either from New Zealand or when you've been overseas, or you know, at any time something that sort of piqued your interest and you know, exploring a bit at the moment or it's taking your fancy? Yeah. Um, oh, I think probably the thing I'm really enjoying is just is drinking older Pinots. So like. Anything that's sort of five, six, seven plus years, mm. Um, mm. just yeah, just acquire a different, acquire a different wine from some of the young people, young pinots. A lot of people drink. But. Yeah. Do you think? Um, do you, Do you think generally it, it's not a bad idea with you know this is certainly broadly speaking and generally mm. speaking, but for Central Otago pinots, you know, four years is normally. If it's a, if it's a good Pinot, is is quite a good time to maybe start looking at them rather than yeah I think too yeah I think even even yeah five plus really mm. Dep- depending on the Pinots and that's I guess the thing I mean I know what our Pinots can do and I, and, and I've sort of now come to the view that well you know sweet spot becomes sort of about six years plus mm-hmm. and I mean, not everyone likes their wine their Pinots sort of a bit more age on them but mm. um, yeah certainly there's too many Pinots drunk way too young I mm. mean some people like that sort of young fresh style but yeah I think there's a lot more subtlety to be gained yes just having a little bit older yeah no absolutely no I'd agree with you and um you know you can certainly you know do it yourself you can ferret ferret some away and and try not to touch them but it is I think still it's fairly uncommon when you're out at a restaurant to find anything with a bit of age you know you might get sort of three years but it's quite hard to find yeah and that's that's, I think and that's the problem really people don't people don't see a lot I mean I see it because I've I've got hmm. it. You know, yes, you're doing it yourself. But it's very hard to. It's the education one is a mm. lot harder, especially I think in New Zealand because, you know, the Pinot. There's not a lot of older Pinots around, mm. and and some of the earlier Pinots are probably a bit more mixed. You know, whereas winemaking viticulture has improved a lot in the you know yeah. last ten or fifteen years. So yeah. there's better the the quality of the Pinots is a lot better as well, and so they're aging better. Yeah, and that's consistently. right. Consistently, yeah. Yeah, and the wineries are predominant in New Zealand, quite young, and yeah. so. You know, cash flow is important, so it's harder to keep some of your yeah. stock back, isn't it? And That's say, well, right. we won't release this to market because we yeah. think, you know, it'd be nice to be able to release it in a few yeah. years. I mean, most most wineries are businesses, and they don't have that luxury to. Yeah, yeah. yeah so we've like we've just from our 2011 vintage, we've held back more. Okay. Um, with the intention, well, we didn't. Really, so we had some options as to what we might do. Yeah, with nice. It. And I think so. What we'll we'll do is we'll sell a little bit uh, to our you know club members. And we'll sell some to um, uh, probably into Australia to our sort of so we can leverage it into the key restaurants. Mm-hmm. So like because yep. because they don't actually get to see a lot of older wine either, right? In terms of being able to list it, as you say. So yep. um, there's really room for us to sort of leverage that wine, you know, and 
get some additional listings in some good restaurants. Yeah, good. Yeah, nice. You know, so it's, yeah. So mm. that's why, I mean, that's one of the things I'll be doing when I go over to Australia this week is, is showing them, well, I always like to take some earlier wines over, yeah. just show them what the 2011 is looking what like. What it can so do, yeah. Was it going to fit onto restaurant lists? Mm. Um, I'm sure it will, but it's mm. just, yeah. Mm. But I mean, outside of Pinot, yeah, some of the other wines I've sort of been enjoying drinking. I, I, I mean, I guess I get, tend to get more excited about single vineyard wines, just out of interest. But, okay. um, but certainly, you know, Mr. R's and, um, and, even, and even some of the, you know, like cooler climate Shiraz Australia. Okay, and so, so Syrahs from local, sort of yeah, Spain, New Zealand, or, yeah. yeah, New Zealand ones, mm-hmm. wherever, mm-hmm. and uh, and all, but also looking at some of the ones that are some of the cool areas of Australia as okay. well. I yeah. mean, there's yeah, there's a lot, lot of interesting, exciting things happening in Australia, I think, in terms it, of that red wines. And why cooler areas for you? Oh, I think it just produces a more sort of a subtle, um, you know, refined style mm-hmm. of pale of, mm-hmm. of Syrah. I'm not, I guess, I'm not. A great big fan of some of those big chunky sort of reds Jimmy, that, yeah, yeah, that really, yeah. you know. I mean, we had a wine the other day, like fifteen percent alcohol out of the fifteen something, fifteen point two percent out of California. Well, mm. I mean, it's nice, it's interesting to have a glass, but I certainly couldn't sit down and drink a bottle of it. No, no, that's so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but no, there's yeah, generally uh, some of those single vineyards, some of the Grenaches are quite interesting. Some Grenache, not much coming out of New Zealand, but mm. yeah, it's um, yeah, seems a bit interesting. So where are you finding those from Australia again or, or France? Yeah, Australia, France. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Just different, yeah, different garage from different places. I just yeah. yeah. I guess it's just something I was having a look at at the moment. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. When you get the opportunity. Yeah. 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 yeah well no, it's nice to do that, I think, isn't it? You know, yeah. you know, have a little bit of a um have a little bit of a theme for a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. I've yeah, I mean there's some of course there's some fantastic sort of, you know, um cab shares. Cab Sav, sort of blends and things that are around mm. too, which, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, Australia does enjoy. that a little bit too, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very good. Well, just to, just to finish up on, so, you, you know, a question is if you could have a glass of wine with, with anyone in history, and what would it be? What would, you, what would you drink with them? Who would you, who would you like to have a glass of wine with? Them? Yeah. Oh, I think, uh, I always thought what was really interesting was, you know, like, because our vineyard site is... The history that goes back to about the 1860s, 1870s, when it was a quite a well-known uh, site, we were part of a well-known sort of little site. We had sort of gardens and orchards and some vines growing there, and they were making a little bit of wine on the side, it seems. And, uh, you know, I'd love to be able to sort of step back into the 1870s and just see what the place was doing and what... Um, you know, try one of those old wines, which um, you know, <laughs> just out of interest, but just yep. to sort of see that whole transition, and then maybe you know, jump forward. Uh, for us, I think what's really something to maybe jump forward fifty years, you know, and be there with their existing um, families and their vineyard manager and their winemaker, and just see what you know how the wine was looking after in fifty years' time. Because I think oh, from now, yeah, yeah so nice. fifty years out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, this is sort of where ten years in, or you know, the vines are what sort of coming up 15 years, 14 mm. years now, so it's, they're pretty young, but to really see that whole thing in 50 years, I yeah. think it was really exciting just yeah. to see, because I know how special it is now, just to taste those, you know, sit down with those people and, yeah. you know, be there. Yeah, yeah, I nice. just you know, wish I had another 50 years left <laughs> yeah. to be there. But. So be, be able to go back and then be able to go forward yeah. as well. and Yeah, very See nice. the full transition of that land, but just with, with people you're sort of connected to. Yeah, nice. Yeah, so, very yeah, cool. Excellent. Oh, that's uh, that's perfect. Well, thanks, Phil. Thanks for your time. Appreciate that. It's great. No, 
enjoyed talking about it. Good. All right. Cheers. Thanks. We've been speaking with Phil Hanford, Managing Director at the Grasshopper Rock Winery in Central Otago, New Zealand. If you're wanting to find out more about Grasshopper Rock, just look them up online. That's grasshopperrock, all one word, .co.nz. And if you'd like to hear more of the New Zealand Wine Podcast, look us up online as well, just under the New Zealand Wine Podcast. Thanks for listening in. Hey, corner mai. Bye for now.